Little boxes on the hillside, little boxes made of ticky-tacky, little boxes, little boxes, little boxes all the same. There's a green one and a pink one and a blue one and a yellow one and they're all made out of ticky-tacky and they all look just the same. All right, we are back. I don't want to give up uh, beating on our real estate industry quite yet. There's a rather bizarre story with a local angle on it here about uh, one of the Sacramento area's more prominent realtors, Michael P. Lyon. There's currently a civil case uh, involving his apparent videotaping of people unbeknownst to them while staying at his house. Well, now the FBI is probing his alleged use of prostitutes on film. We'll have to see where that goes. And I couldn't help but noticing an interesting article a couple weeks back, uh, a couple months now, I guess, from Sam Stanton and Denny Walsh over at the B. Showed a couple that was told that their, uh, their real estate investments were a no-brainer. It would pay them 12% interest. Uh, the people accused of bilking them are investment guru Lawrence Leland Lee Loomis and associates, who has denied wrongdoing to federal agents and through his attorney. But uh, apparently his annual salary was about $400,000 before the trouble came his way, and he's now moved out of his 7,500-square-foot, $1.million-dollar Granite Bay home and relocated in Roseville while the investigation continues. The article is all about how he ran this, uh, I guess it was called Loomis Wealth Solutions Plan. I think it kind of goes without saying, but if anybody is offering you wealth solutions plans, I would just be a little wary. On a happier note, earlier this week we had a two-day Governor's Global Climate Summit. Actually, it was Global Climate Summit 3, hosted by Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger and the governors of Wisconsin, Michigan, Washington, and Oregon. Featured speakers included British Prime Minister David Cameron via satellite and actor Harrison Ford. Obligations kept Radio Parallax from being able to attend this event, but we welcome your feedback as to what transpired if you were a first-hand witness Drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. How about this item? We talked about the Catholic Church at the top of the show. Article by Lori Goodstein in the New York Times. Here's a showstopper headline. Priests sign up for exorcism training. Subheadline. Too few clergy know how to perform right, bishops say. May I remind you, this is not The Onion. This is the New York Times. Of course, this is the same paper that published Judith Miller's stories about WMDs. But anyway, lest I digress, to quote from the article, The rite of exorcism, rendered gory by Hollywood and ridiculed by many modern believers, has largely fallen out of favor in the Roman Catholic Church in the United States. Only a handful of U.S. priests are trained as exorcists, but they say they're overwhelmed with requests from people who fear they are possessed by the devil. So, American bishops held a two-day conference to prepare more priests and bishops to respond to the demand. This just gets better. They say the purpose is not necessarily to revive the practice, but to help Catholic clergy members learn how to distinguish who really needs an exorcism from those who need a psychiatrist or perhaps just some pastoral care. And boy, if any of you listeners out there attended that conference about how to tell if somebody really is possessed by Beelzebub, boy, drop us a line on that one. <laughs> but according to Bishop Thomas Paprocki of Springfield, Illinois, and we probably should have made this our quote of the day, is, quote, 
Not everyone who thinks they need an exorcism actually does need one, unquote. And we could have made the next part our quip of the day, quote, it's only used in those cases where the devil is involved in an extraordinary sort of way in terms of actually being in possession of the person. Who among you is willing to say at this point the Catholic Church is not making progress? Well, I think we could close down quite a few Catholic-based hospitals and if we could just deal more with the issues of possession by the devil, which I think along with its corollary, possession by demons, is largely responsible for human disease, is it not? Well, I believe that was the understanding of the church right about up the time of Louis Pasteur and beyond. Commenting upon this, uh, this um, conference was R. Scott Appleby in the article, described as a professor of American Catholic history at the University of Notre Dame. He noted that the bishop's timing on this makes perfect sense. What they're trying to do in restoring exorcisms is strengthen and enhance what seems to be lost in the church, which is the sense that the church is not like any other institution. It's supernatural. And the key players in that are the hierarchy and the priests who can be given the faculties of exorcism. It's a strategy for saying, we're not the Federal Reserve. We're not the World Council of Churches. We deal with angels and demons. Chris, speaking in favor of this was a journalist in Rome named Matt Boglio, who said that there are hucksters out there who prey on vulnerable believers, causing them physical or spiritual harm. As a result, he thought it helpful that the church is making an effort to train more priests to perform the rite legitimately. Hear, hear. There's nothing I hate more than a phony baloney exorcism. Yes, and stay tuned for next week's show. We're going to investigate how it is you can tell a real witch. We're just trying to obtain the rights to use the pool over at the Hickey Gymnasium here on the campus. Now, I have to admit, it's true in this program, as, as we just did a minute ago, uh, we tend to bag on the real estate industry a little bit. But we're not sure they're the absolute worst industry in America. So let's take a moment to go after those who are. Yes, our friends, the lawyers. Let's go to The Economist. Noted this fine British publication. This year, The Apprentice, a television show in which contestants compete for the privilege of working for Mr. Donald Trump, features 16 who are down in their luck, having lost previous jobs or otherwise having to start anew. No fewer than five of them are lawyers. The legal job market in America remains dire, but the numbers applying to law school are still soaring and students are taking out ever bigger loans as tuition fees grow faster than lawyers' salaries. Increasingly, they are graduating into a world of overblown expectations and debt. Mr. McMillan? Oh. It's apparently between 1996 and 2008, private law schools' median tuition fees almost doubled to just under $34,000 a year. Meanwhile, graduates' chances in the job market have worsened since the great purge of 2009 when firms laid off young lawyers and withdrew job offers. As he notes, this grim market has given rise to Situations Vacant website, whose homepage banner reads, You're a lawyer, the economy sucks, and you need a job. Law schools, meanwhile, of course, disagree that they offer students a bad deal. The statistics they produce on measures such as how many ex-students are employed nine months after graduation don't look so bad, but some frustrated young lawyers find them rather misleading. Some schools report as employed those in part-time or temporary jobs, comma, ones that do not involve practicing law, 
comma, and post-subsidized by the school itself. Mr. McMillan, one more time, please. Oh. Hey, guys, I got an idea. Why don't you start suing law schools? Well, that's a kind of feeding frenzy I wouldn't, wouldn't mind watching. And in a somewhat related story, we have the following from the New York Times. Benjamin Applebaum notes that investors are now seeing profit in bankrolling lawsuits. And I'll have to read from this article. Large banks, hedge funds, and private investors hungry for new and lucrative opportunities are bankrolling other people's lawsuits, pumping hundreds of millions of dollars into medical malpractice claims, divorce battles, and class actions against corporations, all in the hope of sharing in the potential winnings. Boy, how low can you go? Article notes these loans are propelling large and prominent cases. Lenders including Council Financial, a Buffalo, New York company financed by Citigroup, provided $35 million for the lawsuits brought by Ground Zero workers that were settled tentatively in June for $712 million. The lenders earned about $11 million on their investment. Yeah, 33% return is pretty good. They note that the most investments are in smaller cases that fill court dockets. Ardeck Funding, a New York lender, backed by a hedge fund, loaned $45,000 in June to a Manhattan lawyer hired by the parents of a baby brain-damaged at birth. The lawyer hired two doctors, a physical therapist, and an economist to testify at the trial. The jury awarded the baby $510,000. Ardeck is collecting interest at an annual rate of 24%, or $900 a month, until the award is paid. And apparently there's been, uh, there have been laws on the books for years that prohibit investments in lawsuits. But as this proceeds, that you know, lawyers are winning victories in state courts and legislatures, which are overturning those laws. So it's great. I guess graduates of the business school can go to work taking out loans to fund graduates of the law school to sue their alma mater. Good God, I shouldn't say that. It's going to give people ideas. But I don't know, in case you have any doubts that there's an unholy alliance in this country between financial institutions and their lawyers, how about this item? Dateline Eagle, Colorado. A prosecutor stirred public anger last week when he dropped a felony charge against accused hit-and-run driver Martin Erzinger because it might affect his job as a wealth manager at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney. Apparently, while driving his Mercedes on July 3rd, Erzinger, 52, allegedly hit bicyclist Dr. Stephen Milo from behind and then sped off. Mr. Erzinger struck me, fled, and left me for dead on the highway, Milo said in court papers. Eagle County District Attorney Mark Hurlbert offered Erzinger the chance to plead guilty to two misdemeanors, saying, quote, Felony convictions have some pretty serious job implications for someone in Mr. Erzinger's profession. That prompted more than 1,000 outraged emails to his office, as well as an objection by Milo, a New York physician who suffered spinal cord injuries in the hit and run. But yeah, the guy's a wealth manager at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney. Let's just drop the charges. We wouldn't want to hurt his earning potential in the future, would we? And uh, let's go back to The Economist for this July 24th article about lawyers and your money. Note to the magazine, lawyers hate keeping track of their billable hours. I don't know about that. Clients hate them even more. Well, that I'm sure about. 
Each month, they receive bills showing that their legal representatives have worked improbably long hours at incredibly high rates. Billing by the hour often fails to align lawyers' interest with their clients. The chap in the wig, remember this is a British publication, or the white shoes, has an incentive to spin things out for as long as possible. His client would rather win quickly and go home. Since there is clearly a demand for an alternative to the billable hour, you would expect someone to supply it. And indeed, this is starting to happen. Article notes many legal tasks, though not quite easy, are variations on a theme. The production of a certain document, such as a trademark registration, does not differ vastly from one instance to another. So more firms are using document assembly software, such as that made by Basha Systems. The company's founder says the company's software reduced the time needed to put together a certain type of real estate lease from 40 hours to one. Automating the automatable allows lawyers to spend more time talking to the client. Oh, good luck with that one. Anyway, the article concludes noting that the many hours are still being billed the old-fashioned way, and experts and surveys estimate that between 10% and 30% of hours are never billed by tired and overworked attorneys who cannot keep track of every piece of work they do. Well, this must be referring to the UK. Because without going into detail, let me just throw out one little anecdote. I had to have a lawyer represent me some time back, and uh, one of the papers he sent me I thought was particularly well done. So I called up the firm to just say, I like the way it looks, congratulations. That was the extent of the conversation. It was a congratulations from me to the firm. That translated into one-tenth of a billable hour, ladies and gentlemen. And if you're paying your lawyer about $300 an hour, which, let's face it, an awful lot of us have to do, that would be the $30 attaboy. And I don't know much about this story, but I want to talk about it anyway. Apparently, uh, local lawyer Ronnie Deutsch, who advertises all over the U.S. about her ability to beat the IRS, is being accused by state officials of fraud. In the lawsuit, Attorney General Jerry Brown, now Governor-elect Jerry Brown, says Deutsch and her firm swindled customers by charging them thousands of dollars and doing very little work. The vast majority of clients got no IRS debt relief and... The suit adds, the vast majority of clients got no IRS debt relief. Attorney General Brown is demanding that Deutsch return $34 million to customers. The article by Dale Kessler and the Bee uh, notes that the state's lawsuit isn't Deutsch's only legal problem. The State Bar of California is investigating complaints filed by seven former clients. Meanwhile, the spokeswoman for the State Bar declined to comment, saying investigations are confidential. And one final legal matter. We are not sure, as we stand before the microphone, who's going to be the next Attorney General in California. It's a complete photo finish between uh, L.A. County District Attorney Steve Cooley and San Francisco D.A. Kamala Harris. And who is declared the winner may have a lot to do with whether the challenge of Proposition 8 goes before the United States Supreme Court. When, three months ago, U.S. District Judge Vaughn Walker ruled that California's ban on on same-sex marriage violates the federal constitution, the decision was appealed and stayed by the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. Oral arguments are scheduled for December 6th. Of course, everyone knows that no matter what, this is going to get to the Supreme Court sooner or later. But it might not in the California case if Kamala Harris is declared the winner because she does not plan to appeal the ruling. And if the state doesn't appeal the ruling, then you have to ask, 
who has the legal standing to do so. And there's a reason to believe that those who promoted Prop 8, who are after all are private citizens using the initiative process, may not have that legal standing. Another item we'll continue to watch, and I guess final legal item, also on this issue of same-sex marriage and the legal system, is what happened in Iowa. Apparently, uh, three Iowa Supreme Court justices ruled in favor of same-sex marriages, and as a result, were tossed out of office by voters. Article by Michael Crum and No Man Merchant in the AP notes, Emboldened by the success of a ballot effort to oust three Iowa Supreme Court judges who ruled in favor of same-sex marriage, conservative activists are looking for new ways to use the power of the vote to strike back against the courts. Judicial removal campaigns have generally been difficult to sell to the public, but now some groups view them as a potential tool to influence the judiciary on gay rights, abortion, and other divisive social issues. Meanwhile, as not previously noted on this program, in Maine, voters overturned the legislature's passage of a bill legalizing same-sex marriage. Of course, as you're well aware, here in California, voters approved Proposition 8, which banned same-sex marriage, but that measure was ruled against in court, But that measure, of course, as we just mentioned, is now being appealed. Anyway, yeah, Iowa voters tossed out three judges who voted for same-sex marriage. This could be the, uh, the beginning of more such efforts. In fact, I'm sure of it. These folks are bound and determined to stop same-sex marriage. And I have to pose the question, wouldn't it be simpler to obtain the same rights quietly without calling it marriage and avoiding this huge well-financed backlash so we can concentrate on other issues? Just, just a question I have. I'm sure to some of you this is the most important issue of the day. If it is, however, I'd ask you to take a look at the Greenland ice caps and consider some other issues that might be of a little more weightiness. But that's just me. Let's uh, take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. 